0: Listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a boutique agency that uses the art of the interview to showcase your special sauce and to help get prospects to know, like, and trust you. Now, if you're a content marketer, you probably know the name Rand Fishkin. He's founder of SparkToro and basically a go-to source for thinking about and doing content marketing. And this past April, he wrote a a post titled, AI-generated content is the new floor. There's a link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. And the post can be summed up in a single sentence. And, And I'm quoting here, if your content isn't better than what AI can produce, it's not worth making. Now, I came to Rand Fishkin's article by way of another article titled The Future of Content Marketing, Five Predictions, written by Chad S. White. Chad is head of research for Oracle Marketing Consulting and an expert on email marketing and the author of the book Email Marketing Rules, which is now in its fourth edition. And I am super fortunate to have Chad here as my guest today. So Chad, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So let's get right into it. Now, in your article, responding to Rand Fishkin's article, and again, the claim being that content marketers shouldn't publish stuff that's not better than what AI can produce, I think that you generally agree with that. And specifically, you write, and now I'm just going to quote here directly from your article, you write that, quote, to be successful, content marketers will need to rise well above that fray with timely content, unique examples original research, novel ideas, and compelling, authentic, and trustworthy voices. So there's a lot packed into that one sentence, and I wanna try to unpack it a little bit. First, starting broadly, how is what you just described, how is that kind of content better than what AI can generate?
1: Sure, so I think one of the key challenges in this kind of new age of generative AI is to produce content that people can't easily get elsewhere. I guess to put it another way, brands need to create unique content if they want to stand out in search end results and more importantly, in the minds of consumers. And that's because generative AI is going to allow brands to pretty easily create decent content on well-covered topics. And I think that's that new floor that Rand Fishkin is talking about, is that you're going to be able to very easily create decent content on well-covered topics, of which obviously there are many, 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 uh, depending on your industry. Being timely or newsy is one of the ways to rise above that floor, especially since most large language models and LLMs currently don't know anything really about what's happened in the past year or two. Obviously, that'll change in the future, but right now, Being timely is definitely important, a way to rise above that fray. Having really novel ideas or a really unique point of view on a topic is another way to differentiate your content. And when you use those two approaches, you can pretty much avoid competing with AI content completely. But that said, it's not about necessarily avoiding it completely because there are a lot of uses for AI-generated content I speak to a lot of people. But certainly, you need to write about well-trod topics, and sometimes using AI to get a feel or a good starting point makes a lot of sense. So you can definitely differentiate yourself on those well-trod topics uh, by weaving in brand-unique content. And that would be things like, customer examples and case study references, um, using original like poll results or other kinds of research that you might have, uh, using original illustrations or photos, and then weaving in on a smaller scale, sort of novel ideas and opinions that you might have, especially if you can quote folks within your organization. So all of those are ways that you can inject your brand into content that ostensibly started With sort of AI-generated content that was drawing from the great masses of information Mm -hmm. out there on a well-trod topic. I think about this as like a content Christmas tree. So Mm. AI-generated content can give you a basic tree about a well-trod topic. But if you want to make it unique, you need to add in these brand unique elements, really decorate that tree and make it special, really make it light up with your brand and your brand voice.
0: Okay, so extending that metaphor a little bit, maybe it's the difference between decorating a tree just with stuff you bought at Target, right, that everyone else buys, and just the generic decorations.
1: Yeah, those, those shiny balls. Everybody's got those shiny balls that they stick on their Christmas tree. Yeah. This is like something really unique.
0: As opposed to... Something you make at home, you make your own unique decorations and put, you know, the face of your dog on it, or whatever, you you make it up at home. And obviously, those are one of one, one of a kind.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think certainly one thing to embrace there is like the imperfections, right? I Mm. mean, you know, having a great case study or a client example or something unique are bringing to it, but even imperfect things can make it stand out. It doesn't mm. have to be like this perfectly orchestrated thing.
0: That's interesting because that's, you could say, the human difference, right? Humans are going to make weird, quirky mistakes.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, not really mistakes, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't inject mistakes, but certainly, like, it doesn't have to be, like, perfect statements you know, we have opinions, right? And opinions by their very nature are not necessarily Mm. perfect. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Or, you know, again, if you're talking about illustrations, they don't have to be like perfect archetypal types of illustrations. They can be something that's more illustrative. And I think we see that sometimes with people, you know, kind of doing like whiteboarding in in videos and stuff. Even stuff that's sort of like hastily, very organically done, Mm. adds that sense of the human touch and uniqueness. So, you know, I would uh, mm-hmm. you know, caution people about like sort of overproducing.
0: Yeah. Okay. This is getting in a lot, into a lot of really interesting stuff. I mean, obviously, you're right. Mistakes is too strong, right? You don't want to include content that's just wrong or like right. factually wrong. But maybe it's more like human beings have an ability to kind of stumble onto things, discover something unexpectedly or that spark of insight.
1: Yeah. That like AI. Little, little aside. A little aside,
0: yeah, a flash of intuition or something like that, if you can capture it without diluting it and then share it as a piece of content, presumably AI is not capable of that or can only simulate it in a way that's not as authentic or something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, and I think you get to this also in your article, and I want to quote a little bit more because I'm especially intrigued by the phrase, and now I'm quoting you directly, compelling, authentic and trustworthy voices. And I think you make the point that it's trust, really, that is at the core of this. So what does that look like to you? Like these compelling, authentic, trustworthy voices? What do you have in mind? Or like, what are some examples of that?
1: I think it all comes down to having a point of view, like a vision Mm -hmm that you're inviting others to take part in. And I feel like in our like day-to-day lives as consumers, like we really know what that looks like across like the broad spectrum of ways that we interact. So it's folks like Greta Thunberg and Anderson Cooper, Tucker Carlson, Paul Krugman, David Brooks, Warren Buffett, all these people, regardless of how you might feel about these individuals, they have very well-articulated and strong points of view that attract loyal audiences for their organizations. Mm. So so in our day-to-day, I think we recognize what that looks like. I'd say like in the B2B space, I think it's folks like Jay Baer, Joe Pulizzi, Andy Cressidina, Ann Hanley. And if you haven't already signed up for Ant's Total Anarchy Newsletter, you should. That I think is a lesson in being compelling, authentic, mm. and trustworthy. Her newsletters are fantastic. You know, in the email marketing space that I live in, there are absolutely certain people I pay extra attention to Gene Jennings, Ryan Phelan, Kath Pay, Matt Furnout. I think a lot of it is people. You see me listing people. Yeah. I think the voice is people for the most part. But I do think there are some brands who have a voice of their own that also transcend. And we think we know what that looks like as well. It's brands like maybe the New York Times or Uncommon Goods or Chubbies. There's certain brands that have like a very, you know the hustle that have like very clear voices and are very consistent over time. And mm-hmm. that also builds trust as well.
0: Of course, Apple is like a quintessential one or Patagonia comes up a lot, right? Like you hear the name and you can have a a sense or a vision of what that's all about, right? Kind of created this whole narrative. And so when we like going back to like in the B2B space, going back to our core point, the point being that the stuff that generative AI can produce is typically like decent, I think is the word used, right? So it's, but maybe what it's lacking is that distinctive voice then like it's the style where you can really differentiate your brand or or yourself if you're posting on LinkedIn or whatever from the more generic stuff that AI tends to create because of the way that it works with probability does that make sense
1: yeah i think that's true to an extent i mean you can absolutely train these models on your style and in very mm. particular ways. And I think that's, over time, absolutely going to get better. So yeah, I can definitely do that. And I guess what I would really emphasize is that it's sort of like it's the level above. Like It's tricky, the intersection of all of these things. Yeah. I guess I just feel really strongly that even with the best coaching, it's not going to be able to capture all the uniqueness and that you have to have that additional editing phase, no matter how good this thing gets. You have to have that additional editing phase that's very substantial where you are adding and adjusting and really thinking about the AI generated content as a starting point and not anything close to an end point. Hmm. I think, again, if yeah. you want to stand out, I think the, the guardrails... And the process is the same regardless of how good this gets, that over time, you're still going to want to keep kind of core processes in place so that you aren't blending in with everybody else on that floor that Rand is talking
0: about. You can use the AI maybe to get started, like do a draft and then go over it and add in your own special flavor, right? I mean, I'm even a little skeptical about that insofar as I think... It's the the process of writing a first draft can be pretty important to work out what you even think and developing how you want to say it. And if you skip that step and you outsource it to the AI, yeah, you can go back and inject stuff. But essentially, the foundation is what the AI gave you. And unless you're going to scrap it and start from scratch, which you didn't, you've already gone to the AI. I mean... Again, I don't know. I'm not saying definitively like that's bad or that's good, but it gives me a little bit of pause.
1: I think it should. I I completely agree. I think for any substantial piece of content, not the stuff where you're like, hey, turn this blog post into a summary. Hey, turn this blog post into an Instagram tease or, or whatever. But when you're writing something substantial, I am completely aligned with what you're saying. I think the way that we've been talking about generative AI really discounts the writing process. And it really makes it sound like the writing is the thing you do after you've had all the ideas that you're going to have. As someone who has written five books, (laughs) as someone who's written nearly 4,000 blog posts and articles, I can tell you, at least for me, that's not anywhere near what happens. I have a general idea. I have an outline. And then I get to writing, and it's while you're writing that you discover that there are gaps, that there are ideas that are too far apart and you need to yeah. bridge. And by the end of it, maybe that outline is still roughly intact, but you've changed a lot by the time you got to the end, because the writing process is actually part of the discovery process. And I do fear that's yeah. one of the things that people will lose, that if they're like, oh, here's all my ideas, all right. And now AI is going to spit out an article and then I'll just do a little bit of cleanup. I feel like you've robbed yourself of a lot of the discovery process by not taking part in that writing process and really all the rigor that comes with it.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Also, as I was trained as a writer and really did a lot of that before getting into podcasting and yeah, it's struggling through those early stages that if you skip it, I'm not sure what would happen actually, but that's always been key to like becoming better at writing. And it makes me wonder if writing is something that human beings eventually will no longer really do in the same way that we do it. You know, we'll have a machine that just does it for us. Like we have machines to do all kinds of other things.
1: I try to check myself (laughs) in talking about it because I think I do have like, strong personal feelings about yeah. it, but it's certainly not what we try to do with our clients. Like we try to give them like the best pop- possible perspective. I saw this this promotion for a, a webinar and it was provocatively titled, essentially prompt craft is the new reading and writing. And like mm. my soul just <laughs> contracted down and I could feel like <laughs> it's shriveling up. And yeah, I think that's, I think we will have lost something if we get to that point where we're handing off too much of it, we think that I'm just going to have AI summarize this stuff so I don't have to read it. And, oh, and I'll just have AI write this stuff off a few bullet points because I don't want to spend the time writing. I think we will have lost something pretty... Substantial. Now, I did tell this to some friends lately, recently, and they were like, well, you know, social media and texting have already killed off our writing abilities. And that's, I think, partially fair. <laughs> but I think this will take it to a new level. That said, like for people who still have those really strong skills, I think they'll be even more valuable over time. Mm-hmm. But there may be less demand <laughs> for folks with, it'll seem like a more specialized skill.
0: Yeah, right. I wonder if. And I think I'm already seeing this a little bit, that there'll be a reaction against AI, you know, agencies that make a point of like, we're not using AI.
1: Oh, I think we're absolutely going to see a lot of that. Yeah. So culturally, I feel like generative AI is coming along at a really interesting time because Gen Z and millennials to maybe a slightly smaller degree, like really value authenticity. They're like always looking to align themselves with people and brands. They want that sort of like uh, authenticity, I feel is the word of Gen Z. And so generative AI like is none of those things, right? I mean, it's not, not always accurate. It can be misleading if you're not disclosing it properly. That in and of itself could be seen as a violation of trust. And I think in the same way that brands like Apple have really aligned themselves around privacy, I think there's going to be brands that align themselves around using generative AI ethically and brands that like eschew it completely as part of their brand saying that, you know, they emphatically don't use generative AI. And I think there will be some consumers that will very happily pay more for products and services that come from companies that refuse to use it and make you know and proudly so
0: although it's again it's so hard to predict right because we just don't know what this stuff is going to look like even a few years from now and if if it's shown that whatever versions of ai emerge in the future are can boost your bottom line boost revenue then maybe that'll be enough to if in fact that's the case then maybe that'll win out or it's probably going to be a combination of things right looking ahead Do you see this content floor that AI is creating just sort of rising and rising and rising to the point where it's like an arms race? Like we just have to, we poor humans have to just keep upping our game in order to compete?
1: Yeah. So I I do think that's true. I think over time it is going to get better and better. Microsoft alone has pledged or is in the process of investing $10 billion in generative AI. And that's on top of everything they've already invested. And that's just Microsoft. So there is a lot of money that's being invested into these models. They are absolutely going to get better. ChatGPT 3.5 is not nearly as good as 4. I think we're going to see like very substantial upticks in usage. And I think the the other thing that's frightening is that I think everybody is thinking that like. LLMs are the thing. These large language models like ChatGPT, they're like that's the model. And I think we've already seen that there's lots of problems with LLMs especially in terms of like reliability of information, accuracy, and citations and things like that. It may not be the final model. There may be a new model that's completely different than LLMs, that actually is the superior one. And if that happens, then this whole Darwinian <laughs> contest gets to, to reset and we get to up the tension. Mm. But yes, I, I do think that it's absolutely going to get better over time, easier to train. The, the window of training is going to get more, uh, much closer to real time. I think there's going to be a lot of advances that will make it better. However, I think it it always comes back to trust. And for me, that's people. People and trust. That's what business is. Again, to bring it back to B2B. And I, I think it's like really top of mind for us here at Oracle Marketing Consulting, because we're an agency or a hundred percent a people business. Like when you hire us, you get to work mm-hmm. with some of the talented people that you get to read on our blog and see on our webinars. Like We're people. I think there is a a point at which like you're messing with that and you have to be really careful because I feel like, Mm -hmm. you know, all relationships, business, personal, otherwise are built on trust and that's a prerequisite for building value. And I would argue that people are that prerequisite for building trust for companies, especially again, if you're any kind of service oriented company. So I, I think there is like a fundamental alchemy that... AI is being injected into. And I don't know that fundamental alchemy of how business works, how trust works, how a relationship works. I don't know what degree you can inject generative AI into that before you start to break it and cause real crises of trust. You think about writing. I think a lot of B2B brands are excited to use generative AI to do like cold outreach emails.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If, people then bite and engage and they find out that you are like wildly different from Mm -hmm. the outreach that you sent. I would think that would cause trust issues. And especially if there's a a lot of that back and forth, and then there's that moment where like, and you're really different. Mm -hmm. What does that say? I think some people will feel like that's (laughs) disingenuous at least (laughs) and perhaps much worse. Mm -hmm. Because in the end, again, all businesses, people, that's who we're signing contracts with. That's who we're doing. Yeah. There, I think, are some exceptions to that rule. But I think for the vast majority of brands, that's what it comes down to. And so I I Mm -hmm. think that's the the balance that we're going to be really struggling with over time. And again, I think this is going to be a big cultural issue. Congress is already thinking about getting involved in They're not the best at all at regulating technology or even understanding technology. But I think even they recognize how disruptive this could be. Mm -hmm. And there's this balance between efficiency, which generative AI can definitely offer that. But then there's all of these other issues around trust and authenticity and representation that are super, super important.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like you're, you're may- maybe we could call this the Wizard of Oz effect. You know, what you're describing when the wizard steps out from behind the, the mechanism, right? That's a pretty old reference. Maybe we need a more modern one. I'm not sure. But yeah, I guess time will tell, right? Because it could also just as easily be a scenario where the AI evolves to become less weird or like less grating and m- more subtly integrated. And we all become used to it. And it's not as shocking it's not taken as some sort of deception. Oh, whoa, I've been interacting with an AI and now it's the real person. You know, Maybe they'll just be this hybrid thing. It's hard to know. But in any case, Chad, there's so much more we could unpack here, but we'll save that for part two. But one final question. What's the best way for people to connect with you?
1: Sure. You can find me at emailmarketingrules.com. That's the best place.
0: Okay. Excellent. And you're on LinkedIn, of course. We'll put your contact info in the show notes, along with some links to the books you've written and to where you work at Oracle Marketing. Chad, thank you so much for a really stimulating discussion. I I can say this is one good example of something that I'm not sure AI can do yet. Just have a really good discussion like this, person to person, just kind of thinking out loud, spitballing. I hope that never goes away.
1: I hope so too. Not to burst your bubble too much, but I was reading just the other day about how you can very easily now train generative AI on a person's voice and you can Mm, write up a script and you can have the script read in that person's voice.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Well... uh,
1: I think that also brings up like these issues of, are you accurately representing things? Are you deceiving people? The example that was presented to me was that, oh, let's say your CEO like doesn't like to talk Hmm. uh, all that much. You could record their voice, you could script them, and then they Mm -hmm. could sign off on it. Like, is that the same thing? I'm not sure that it is. Right.
0: I mean, that's edging into like sci-fi territory that we're just not, we have no frame of reference for that yet. By the way, I thought you were. I thought you were going to say not to burst your bubble, but I am an AI. <laughs> You've been talking to Chad GPT. <laughs>
1: oh, that would have been a great reveal. Yeah. No, well, it's, that would have been a great and sad reveal. But no, it's really me. <laughs> I right. don't plan to use generative AI in that way for sure. But you're right. I mean, there's definitely a lot of thorny, ethical, <laughs> semi-moral questions. I mean, and I think transparency is going to be really key and i think that's where people actually are going to get really tripped up because they're going to really twist themselves up and not to reveal and not to be transparent about their usage yeah and then they're going to get found out it's always Mm -hmm. the cover-up but so i feel like that's the thing that's going to be really important whereas if you're chatting with a chatbot and they don't hide that but once you start to hide it Mm. That's when it becomes problematic. That's when right. trust gets breached. That's when people start to rebel and, mm-hmm. and feel tricked. Like you gotta respect people. They're really smart. <laughs> it doesn't matter how good AI gets. They're still gonna feel that pain of being deceived if they discover right. that they thought they were interacting with a person it wasn't. And this is in the the age of like already digital influencers, people mm-hmm. who are not real people that are sporting fashion and all kinds of things. But there's the transparency, like the people know those aren't real people and they're fine with it. So I think there's right. a lot of acceptance of those kinds yeah. of things in this age, but it, the transparency is key.
0: Yeah. Well, right. Already we're seeing like on Instagram or whatever, just like filters you can use to just alter your appearance, right? It's still technically you but not. You don't really look like that. How much of a leap is it to go from that you just create a digital copy of yourself that looks exactly like you or looks better than you because you touch it up and you train it and it can have a conversation. And as far as anyone knows, it's basically you. And it just keeps getting better and better until it's impossible to tell. Are we that far off from that? I would say probably not.
1: It's going to be an interesting few years, next decade. I think, yeah, yeah, this next decade, I think is going to be really fascinating. And I think more than ever, we're going to have like really strong ethical questions to ask and like really strong ethical lines to draw in a way that I don't think that has been the challenge so much in recent years.
0: It's going to be a whole new realm. Well... Obviously, there's so much more to talk about, right? I already tried to sign off once and we just kept going. So now we'll sign off for real. Chad, thank you so much for a great conversation. Uh, really appreciate it.
1: Well, no, thanks for having me.
0: That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over the top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at Jeremy at That's C-O-N-N-V-E-R-S-A dot